What a joy it is to be in God's house with God's people and to bless his holy name. We serve a mighty God. Amen. He is great and greatly to be praised. I want to turn your attention to the book of Ruth uh, this morning and uh, talk to you a little bit about some incredible people and what I believe the Lord would have for us uh, to look to today concerning the word of God and the principles of God's word. It says at the very beginning of that book, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Shilion, uh, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. They dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. She had left Canaan's land, the Holy Land area, and had gone to the country of Moab with her family. In Moab, she lost her husband and her two sons, but she she got word while she was in Moab that there was bread in the land. There was bread in the land. Not in Moab, but back in Canaan's land. And when she heard that, she said, it's time for me to go back. I want to talk to you this morning for a few moments on this subject, the beckoning bread. The beckoning bread. Would you bow your heads and pray, Lord, we're thankful to be in your house today. Thankful for your sweet presence that we feel. What a mighty God you are. You have just wrapped your arms around us already today and allowed us to just feel the sweet embrace of your presence. And we are indebted to you. We thank you, Lord, for this beautiful congregation of people that have gathered together, the opportunity to look to your word. I pray now, Lord, that you would give us open hearts and open minds, and that, Lord, something would be lodged in our spirit today through the speaking and the preaching of your word that would change us and transform us, Lord, from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. In the mighty name of Jesus, we ask. Everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing, and you may be seated. I remember um, a number of years ago when I was in um, Bible school, uh, seminary, preparing for uh, ministry and, and not even really going there with that expectation, but simply trying to um, give the Lord sort of a first shot at what my future would be as just a young man of 17 years old. I remember I uh, went to St. Paul, Minnesota, which was quite a shock for a Florida boy uh, to go to that area where people live uh, that's not even really habitable it's just not made for humans up there but yet people still attempt to live in Minnesota there was the first year that I was in school it was uh, routinely a hundred below zero they set all kind of records that year and your breath would even freeze it hurt to breathe and it was it was an, an amazing experience there was 
uh, one point in time whenever I thought that I would be a hockey player. And so for Christmas, I asked for all hockey equipment. And so I got all of this hockey equipment, hockey skates and all the pads. And I decided that I would be a hockey player. Well, deciding to be a hockey player at 17 is not the thing to do. People that play hockey have been on skates since they could walk or before. And so my very first game, I was skating on Tanner's Lake and they put the slow guys on defense and I was uh, not only slow, I could barely stand on the skates. And uh, I immediately broke my ankle, uh, only it was so cold you didn't know that you broke your ankle because it just froze. And uh, so I didn't think I broke it, I thought I sprained it, but later I had to go to the hospital and when I went to the hospital... They had to say, yes, it's broken, and they had to fix it. And then they called me back to say, your break is so bad that we have to operate and put a screw in your ankle. So it was not a very uh, glamorous beginning to my hockey career. In fact, it was the start and the end, all in one day, (laughs) in one skating adventure. But while I was in the hospital trying to recover from this screw that had been inserted in my ankle at 17 years old, I... uh, I was also a part of another record-breaking experience, and that is that uh, over a three-day period, St. Paul, Minneapolis, Twin City area received over 87 inches of snow. Yes, this was the life of a 17-year-old Florida boy in St. Paul, Minnesota. But there was something that was always encouraging. We would go to school, and then we would go to eat lunch in the cafeteria, and then we would go to our jobs, and there was something that... Sister Hodges, the cook at that Bible college, would do every day that always had our attention. Now, the school was not known for good cooking or good food, but there was, in fact, it, it was um, barely even food. We, we would have chicken soup on the menu, and there would be no chicken in the soup. And so we started calling it chicken shadow soup, because... We think Sister Hodges just waved a big chicken over all of the bowls as it went by. And we had so much fun making fun of the food in the school. But to Sister Hodges' credit, God bless her, to her credit, she made fresh bread every day. And we would be in class and that smell of bread would sort of waffle down the hall and would go into the rooms and we would be sitting there trying to learn something from the Old Testament and and the smell of bread would beckon us. Lunch calleth. We knew when we got there, most of the things we would not attempt to eat, but we always knew that we could eat the bread. I guess bread was inexpensive and you can fill up a bunch of hungry college students with bread. But every day, sister, and we'd go and we'd say, Sister Hodges, we smell the bread. And I'll never forget, there's something about the smell of fresh bread that calls you. It can, it can be happening on the streets in the Middle East where we were a few years ago, as Caitlin was talking about. There was this smell of fresh bread that would always go through the streets and the alleys of old Jerusalem and so forth. And, and bread is so vitally important and a staple of their diet in the Middle East as it is ours. But the family that we read about in this story in Ruth is is a family that I think gives us a unique lesson from the Word of God. This family that was leaving the country of of God's calling because times were tough. There was a famine that was in the land and 
they decided that they would go to Moab. Moab was a place that was always at odds and was always in a battle with the children of Israel. It was not God's favorite place, if we can just say it that way. The Israelites were always fighting the Moabites and the Amalekites. And it was always the Philistines and so forth. As you read through the Old Testament, you'll see this. And, and Moab was one of those places where when you went to Moab, it was sort of a type of going out of God's will or going into the world. And I think that sometimes when we get out of God's will, that God gives us a wake-up call. How many of you ever felt like that God gave you a second chance or gave you a wake-up call It wasn't necessarily that you were an evil person, but you just weren't where God wanted you to be or where your calling and your destiny was. I think all of us can relate to that. And and we're just sort of in our Moab, if I can say it that way. We're, we're, We're still doing our best, but we're not in a place where we should be. And so these guys were in Moab. And I believe that God was maybe giving Naomi some wake up calls. And she she lost her husband. But what's interesting is that she did not return immediately when she lost her husband. The Bible says that she remained there 10 more years. Sometimes God gives us a wake-up call and, and we're a little stubborn in receiving it. Now, we may see it, but it's one thing to see it, it's another thing to acknowledge it and to respond to it. And so sometimes God gives us a wake-up call. Sometimes God spares our life. I, I, I remember the time you know, I shared with you recently that I was, I was hit by a drunk driver on Interstate 75. and My car went flipping through the air and, and landed upside down. And I didn't have a seatbelt on. And it was crushed. And I crawled out of that thing and didn't have a cut on me. Never went to the hospital. They all told me I should have been dead. There was no way I should have survived that accident. But as I sat on the side of the road in the dark and in the rain, Interstate 75, and could hear the emergency vehicles coming in the distance, I felt the Lord speak to my heart and say, I have called you to preach the gospel, and I am going to do a work in your life. And I felt like it was God just realigning my focus and saying, you know what? I have spared your life for a purpose. You've got to dedicate yourself with everything. And I believe God does that in every one of our hearts, in every one of our lives. And sometimes we're a little slow to respond to it. Maybe that was Naomi. But then she didn't get the message maybe. And now her two sons died. And even after her husband died. And even after her two sons died. She's still in Moab. And she doesn't necessarily move toward home. Even with those things happening in her life. But when she heard that there was bread in the land it wasn't the death of her husband it wasn't the death of her sons but when she heard that in that place of your nativity in that place of your spiritual origin at that place of your repentance home your father's house there is bread in the land she couldn't stay in Moab any longer Because I have heard that there is bread that is baking in God's heavenly oven. And I've got to get back to where I was. If I've got to return by myself without my family, I've got to kill my pride and get back to where God started me on this journey. Sometimes when we get out of God's will, we we have this old flesh to deal with. 
And we continue on in our personal determination and our pursuits. And we have to deal with a lot of times, like I'm sure Naomi had to deal with, just our own pride that sort of immobilizes us from returning. And that's something that I'm sure all of us have been to that place where we just sort of stay in turmoil and heartache. We just stay in that place and God's given us signs and God's given us messages one after another. Some things crush us. Some things are disappointments. I think sometimes we misinterpret what's going on. Sometimes when things go wrong in our life, we think that that means that God is a far uh, cry or he's away. Uh, he's got a distance between you and him. But sometimes, folks, whenever you're going through valleys and trials and troubles, it doesn't mean that God's a far away. It means that God is close to you. And he's got his arms and he's saying, come on back, come on back, come on. You're not supposed to live in Moab. You're not supposed to be in a place of being lukewarm. You're not supposed to be in a place where you're not out there, maybe on the perimeter. God's trying to call you back to that place. Hallelujah. And he's got bread that's in the oven. Hallelujah. He's got a table spread where the saints of God are fed. And the bed and the bread beckons us and calls us. And so Moab is that type of the world and, and, Sometimes we lose our spouses and even our kids in Moab. But even after all of that, it was the bread that began to pull her back. Sometimes we face losses, things that are mounting up around us. Maybe it's stress, maybe it's strife, maybe it's struggles. And yet we dig in and we determine that we're going to preserve our pride and stay the course. But then when we hear that there's bread in the land, when we hear that there is bread in the land, There's that beckoning call of the bread that says, come on home. Everything that you long for, it's not in Moab. There's bread that's in the land. Maybe when you left like they did, maybe they thought when they left they had to. Everything was going to dry up and die. But then they hear that there's bread that's in the land. You got to get back to the very beginning. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe there's times when God is calling us back to that first love again. He's calling us back to that place when we first started out serving God. We were giving Him everything. We wanted to be in church. We couldn't pray enough. We couldn't read our Bible enough. But through the cares of life and through the strain and stresses and, and wandering, and, and you know what happens is those things don't become our first love. But God is saying, it's time to come back to your first love. It's time to draw again from the wells of salvation. Why? Because the bread is beckoning us and the bread cannot be ignored. There is nourishment in the land. We thought there would only be impoverishment, but there's nourishment. We thought everything would dissipate. We thought when we left, everything would fall apart, but it didn't. God kept on blessing and the bread is in the land. There's still a God that's reaching and calling For each and every one of us. For some of us it may be that we grew up in church. We went to Sunday school. Maybe we even went to church camps or vacation Bible school. Schools were a part of our childhood and the teaching of God's principles and and God's word was in our life. I can't tell you the number of times I run into people right here in Palm Bay and Melbourne. And and I, I find out that they grew up in the church. They grew up in Pentecost. And you know, I don't want to be rude, but the thought that's in my head is, what are you doing now? Do y'all ever run into people like that? They'll say, well, where do you go? What are you doing? And I'm Pentecost. Oh, you know what? I used to be Pentecost. Used to be. What happened? 
Oh man, I tell you, when I was a kid, boy, I tell you, we used to go to Sunday school. I remember going to those church camps and boy, that was quite a time. And Well, what happened? What went wrong? Well, you know, got into those young adult years and then peers and they became, you know, persistent with an alternative message. And I got more interested in dating, going here and going there and life. And I just sort of got away from it, but... But I'll never forget what it was like as a kid. I remember being up in Atlanta at a very large non-denominational church with some friends of ours and going to one of the services and everything was very organized and everything was very professional and everything was timed and it was presented, you know, in a very well uh, uh, performance packaged and all that. And, and, but it was just like there was no spirit that was moving, you know, and I was there with my friends as, as a courtesy to them and and I was interested too because this is like one of the biggest churches in America. And I was, I was curious about how the whole thing worked. And I was observing and watching. And I, I noticed why everybody was singing. There wasn't, there wasn't really any worship. And when the guy spoke and preached, there was not really any, any worship there. And, and, uh, everything was, was sort of, uh, I don't know, for me and maybe what I'm coming from here and being in this apostolic environment, it just seemed like it was flatlined. So the whole time I was sitting there, I was like, well, Lord, why do you have me here? What is, what is, what am I here? What is my purpose? What am I supposed to, to learn from this? And, and so the very end, they gave, uh, they, 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 they gave a, uh, uh, they didn't give an altar call. There was nothing. There was just, uh, I'm all done. Everybody stood up and, uh, everybody was dismissed and they turned and they started uh, doing closing for their satellite campuses and the TV cameras. And so, um, I just stood up and, and, and my wife was there and my kids and we were getting ready to go get our kids out of the Sunday school and our friends were there and, and we said, okay. And I turned around and, and I went to gather my stuff and this lady comes running up to me and she says, do, are you from Florida? And I said, yeah. And she said, do you pastor in Florida? And I'm like, yeah. You know how people start asking you questions. You're not sure where it's going. She's like, is your name David? <laughs> yeah. She said, did you used to run the youth camps up in uh, Ocala for the Pentecostal church? I'm like, yeah. It's like getting hotter and hotter, you know. And she sat down in the seat. She went, this is an answer to prayer. And I said, really? She said, yes, you won't believe this. I said, tell me. And she said, I used to go to those youth camps as a kid. She said, I grew up over in the St. Cloud, Kissimmee area. And she said, I used to go to those camps and we used to feel the Holy Ghost. And you always made everything so much fun. And she said, it was awesome. But then she said, I'd go back home and our church wasn't like it was at camp. And I got into high school years and I got away from God, but I ended up moving up here to Atlanta. And, and now I got married and we're having problems in our marriage. And I told my husband, if we could find one of those churches that I went to as a kid. She said, we're looking all over Atlanta. She said, we couldn't find... She said, I've tried to tell my husband about how the Holy Ghost used to fall and the Spirit of the Lord would fall and we'd worship the Lord all night in those camps. And she said, I'm trying to find a church like that. And she said, I don't know where to go. So I just started bringing my husband here 
And I'm trying to get him used to this place because this is kind of a good place to start coming. If you've never gone to church at all, it's kind of a good bridge, you know, to kind of get you into the whole routine of going to church. And, and it's pretty user friendly and so forth. And she was explaining, but she said, even this morning as we were driving here, my husband was saying, I just don't think I can go there anymore. I don't get anything out of it. And she said, it's just the first step. God's going to lead us to what I know is God's plan for our lives. And God's going to lead us to a person. She said, and I looked up there, and there you were sitting on the third row. I said, well, maybe that's why I'm here. She gave me her name and number, and she introduced me to her husband. She said, this was the guy I was telling you about. I used to go to those camps as a kid. This is what we're looking for. And I said, well, God bless you. Hallelujah. We're going to get you hooked up to the right church. So I called the pastor that's in that area that's got an apostolic Pentecostal church. And I called them, and they connected with each other. And they went to church there, and her husband got the Holy Ghost. And they're going to church. You know why? Because you can't get away from this thing. It's the bread. That keeps beckoning you. Or once you've experienced the authentic move of the Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter what you go through in life. There will always be a God that will lead you back to that place of your first love. Something that calls us and draws us back. I think sometimes when I think about the life of John the Baptist. And you know John the Baptist was a. He was a great guy. He had really humbled himself and he prepared the way and fulfilled his mission. But as John the Baptist had sort of passed the baton to Jesus and the ministry of Jesus was flourishing, but yet John the Baptist sat in a prison cell awaiting his execution at the hands of an evil king. He sent messengers to Jesus and he asked this question. Of Jesus. Art thou the one that should come or should we look for another? For John, his future looked bleak. For John, things were not going so well. His bold message had stirred up the king's wife, and the king had promised his own wife that John would be executed, his head chopped off. Now he needed to know from Jesus was my life in vain? Was the message that I preached in vain? Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes. And your desire to serve God as one day goes into the next. And especially whenever you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't mean you're backslid. But in our own human nature sometimes we can question, was it all worth it? I tried to do the right thing, but did it all pan out? Did I make the right choices and decisions? This is where John the Baptist was. As he awaited his execution... He needed to know from Jesus, was it all worth it? Jesus told his messengers, go back and tell John, the sick are healed. The lame walk. The dumb speak. The blind can see. There's bread in the lane. I hope I can communicate this to you today. There's bread in the land. Ladies and gentlemen, think about this. All of heaven rejoices when one person comes to repentance. That's what the Bible says. I hope we never lose the awe and the majesty of just one soul 
that comes. We see it every Sunday. We see it every week. People getting baptized. People getting the Holy Ghost in the prison. People getting the Holy Ghost being baptized in church. People getting the Holy Ghost. People being baptized at the hands for healing ministry. Happening all over South Bavar. I hope we never lose the awe and the wonder. And every day we ought to rejoice that there's bread that's in the land. I know there's a lot of stress. I know there's a lot of strife. I know there's people that are mourning because 50 people were killed in a nightclub in Orlando just the past couple of days. I know the world's going to get worse and worse, but I've come to tell this great church, tell your neighbors, tell your friends, tell your loved ones, there's bread in the land. There is hope. There is joy. There is a God that loves us. There is victory in the midst of sorrow. Oh, I wish we could tell everybody that would hear it. There is bread in the land. You say, well, pastor, what is that bread? Let me tell you what it is. It's healing. It's nourishment. It's help. It's hope. It's joy once again. It's having purpose in your life. It's making all the pieces come together. It's putting things back in order again. It may be that there is loneliness. It may be that there's heartache. But there's still a God that is redeeming the lost. And there's still a God that's restoring lives. And there's still a God that's turning the light on in people's minds and in people's spirits. There's bread in the land. Spiritual nourishment for our soul. And ladies and gentlemen, it always seems that the bread follows the favor of God. The bread is the tangible evidence of the presence of God and the blessing of God. In Genesis 41, in verse 54, it says, And the seven years of Darth, or of famine, began to come according as Joseph had said. And the Darth, or the famine, was in all lands. But in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. Can I tell you why there was bread in Egypt? Not because Egypt was a holy place. But because Joseph was in Egypt. There was bread in Egypt. Because Joseph was in Egypt. I'm going to tell you the greatest thing that the nation of America has. It's not our wealth. It's not our natural resources. It is the church of the living God that blesses America. It's the greatest resource that this nation has is when men and women of a righteous inclination raise their family in the fear of God. That's what makes America great. There was bread in the land because Joseph was in the land. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. People went to the king. People went to the leader. We need bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph! Pharaoh knew where the bread was. I can't help you any. But look to Joseph. Ladies and gentlemen, our answer is not in the political process. 
Our answer is not what happens in Washington, D.C. Our answer is not who is in the next United States president. I'm going to tell you what our answer is. Our answer is when men and women get on their knees and begin to call out to God and say, we need bread in the land. Oh my God, I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm going to stay on this because I feel God saying something to us. Come on, you're looking to too many other places. You're looking to the country. You're looking to the world. You're looking to your relatives. God is saying, you need to leave Moab and get back to the place of where it was when you first came to an altar. A place of humility. A place of repentance. That's where the bread is. Egypt is a type of the world. And the Bible says that Egypt did not like shepherds. Shepherds, of course, is a type of spiritual authority or leadership. And that's true because the Bible says later on that after Joseph was gone, there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. And they looked at the Jews as just a bunch of shepherds, wandering nomads that were reproducing faster than them and posed a threat. And they put them all in slavery and captivity. They loved Joseph because Joseph had the bread. But after Joseph died, they didn't have any use. We don't, we live in a world that doesn't like pastors. They don't want spiritual leaders. You hear it all the time. You don't need somebody telling you what to do. Egypt didn't like shepherds, but they liked bread. Oh my, I feel something coming up on me right now, like climbing up on me. We don't want the shepherd, but we want the bread. Let me tell you where Joseph came from. He came from a family of shepherds. His daddy was a shepherd and his granddaddy was a shepherd. And ladies and gentlemen, if you want the bread of the blessing of God, you got to live by biblical principles. Verse 56, and the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses. Put it up there, verse 56. And Joseph opened all of the storehouses. Oh, hallelujah. You got it? Genesis 41, chapter 41 and verse 56. Whenever they came to Joseph, they said, we need bread. And Pharaoh said, go see Joseph and see what Joseph tells you to do. And they all said to Joseph, we need bread. And Joseph opened up the storehouses. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you, we need to open up the storehouses. God didn't save you and me for us to just sit on it and keep it for our four and no more. We ought to open up the storehouses. We ought to tell everybody we know. There's bread in the land. There's bread in the land. There's hope for your family. There's hope for your life. Open up the storehouses. We ought to tell everybody we know. I think we as Christians need to get bold in this last day. You ought to be praying for people in line at Walmart. My family and I and the kids and all were on a cruise here a few weeks ago and Bishop Myers, he said, and I'm so glad, I'm so happy for him because it was like, we used to go to Disney World and we could never ever get him to ride in a wheelchair. I said, Dad, you ought to ride in a wheelchair. These people are just overweight riding wheelchairs. You're 80 years old. You ought to have a wheelchair and relax and enjoy. He's like, no, I can walk. I'm okay. But we went on this last deal. 
he, done, he was all right. He said, where's the guy with the wheelchair? Because he saw that big old long dock and how far we had to walk just to get to town. So one day we had walked and we'd gotten far, far, far away from the, from the boat. and It had gotten hot and all of that. And dad said, I think I'm going to go back home. So I said, okay, let me see if I can find this. And, that. and he, he was already back at the boat before I could find out what happened. So I went over there and finally we got back there and got connected with him. And I said, what happened? He said, there was some guy there that had a golf cart and he had on some sort of a security badge. And he said, I went up to him and I said, I'm a bishop. I'm 80 years old. And if you will drive me back to the boat, I will pray for you and your family. <laughs> and the man said, hop on, bishop. He saw me going back there. He said, are you looking for the bishop? I said, yes. He said, I got him back safe and sound. I said, you told him that, Dad? He said, yes, I did. And I said, I'll tell you what else. He said, I got his name and I got his family's name. And as soon as I went back to my cabin, I prayed for all of them. I'm going to tell you what, folks. The greatest thing that Palm Bay and Melbourne has is the people that are sitting in this church this morning. It's time to open up the storehouse. This world needs prayer. And you've got the favor of God on your life. You've got the touch of God. You've got the spirit of God. You've got his blessing. Open up the storehouse. Tell everybody you know. There's bread in the land. There's bread in the land. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Go ahead, Dr. Myers. Jesus. He caught that. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That's the bread beckoning people, pulling on their hearts. Go ahead. Yes. 
I want you to step out from where you're standing now. And I want you to come to this front right now. And I want you to come with your voice lifted up, with your hands lifted up. Come on, the bread is beckoning you. There is a God that is calling you. Come on, it's time to come out of Moab. It's time to come out of a place of indifference. There is a God that is beckoning you. Come unto me, all ye that labor. And are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, <laughs> 
God's moving in a powerful way. Whoever you're standing next to, why don't you pray for one another right now? Come on, God's going to open up the storehouse. God's touching families right now. That's it. Pray for one another. That's it. God's doing the work. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus.